build your brand. You really, you know, we're all brand builders. We all aspire to be brand builders. Like what is your personal brand? And what do you bring to the table more and better than anyone else? Welcome to Hearts and Carts, the CPG podcast, the podcast about the people behind the products that are winning hearts and filling carts. This cast is for anyone with an interest in the world of consumer products. We're your hosts, Justin Osborne and Alex Hill, and our mission is to bring you weekly content that helps you be a better and more informed CPG professional. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hearts and Carts. I'm your host, Justin Osborne, along with my co-host, Alex Hill. And we are excited to bring you our first ever interview on the podcast, the first of many. Uh, And on today's show, we have Mr. Mark Lee. Alex, tell the people who Mark Lee is. So Mark Lee today is serving as the global head of mainstream and value brands for I believe the fourth largest cannabis company in the world, Canopy Growth. He's uh, approximately a 20-year veteran of of the consumer products industry. He's worked at companies like Nielsen, uh, SC Johnson, and and others. He'll tell us all about that in the interview. But overall, like Mark's a really dynamic, interesting leader, super authentic, and you know, really excited to hear what he's he's gonna say. Yeah, Alex and I both got the chance to work with Mark at SC Johnson, amazing guy great mentor for both of us. So really excited to showcase him on today's show and and share some of that that same advice with the entire podcast. So without further ado, we'll move into the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to like and subscribe and follow us on our social media channels. Here we go. Welcome. Uh, we're here with uh, Mark Lee, Global Head of Consumer Brands and Value Brands at Canopy Growth. And I think, you know, first and foremost, let's pass the duchy to, to Mr. Lee and he can tell us a little bit about himself and his career in, in consumer products and kind of how he got what he's doing today. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Lee. I'm, I'm head of uh, mainstream and value brands here at Canopy Growth. Career-wise, I mean, I can kind of start it from the beginning. Coming out of university, I was a terrible candidate. I mean, I was definitely super shy. I wasn't that top 5%. Um, I always knew I wanted to go into CPG. I mean, at the time, CPG is where you wanted to be, right? Like, that's where brand marketing started with Ivory Soap and P&G. But I had no experience. I didn't have the typical internship and all the things that everyone looks for. And I look for in people when I was in CBG. I was like that the remaining 95%. Were you a business student? I was a business student. So I went to uh, I went to Schulich at York U. I worked in a marina when I was at, at, at Schulich. Absolutely nothing to do with business, but I just <laughs> had a great old time, you know, running the docks. And uh, I had, but uh, I, I knew I wanted to get into CPG. I mean, Leaving university, I had no experience, but I had a shit ton of hustle. And it's like I, I was willing to put in put in that work. And so right out of school, I worked part-time as a teller from like 11 to 4. Then I got in a bus and I worked another job 5 to midnight. Uh, and I did that every day. Um, and it was funny that the second job I uh, I got it from a newspaper. That was when you actually read newspapers live and you found a job. And it was like it was managing a phone center. And so I did that day in and day out. And I mean, 
it's just making making those opportunities into what they they could be. And so I ran algorithms to maximize, uh, you know, interview, interviewer call frequency, just doing things that I love to do. And I transitioned that into being a project uh, director, managing kind of studies out of the U.S. So I turned that nighttime job into a full-time job. And, you know, my boss was in the U.S., everyone's in the U.S. And so really learning how to build relationships just over email, which, you know, is totally relevant right now, um, but was huge for me. And so it's like I, I used what I had, limited skills, a lot of hustle, and I just turned what, you know, the opportunities I did have into, into something. And uh, leveraging that experience in research, I, I went over to, Neil, to Nielsen. And so learning, turning mass amounts of data into insights, I realized fundamentally I'm a data nerd. I love analysis. I learned how to storytell with numbers. And, uh, and that was huge for me because that was my first interaction with CPG. Worked on the Unilever account that have a portfolio and uh, had a grand old time. It was a huge, it was a great, uh, great kind of place to build my career. And so again, knowing I wanted to go to CPG, having this uh, research experience, you know, I needed to find the right company that that was the best fit. And to be honest, and this is where I met you, you two guys is, is SC Johnson and SC Johnson, it, you know, has a very different approach to marketing than, than some of the other traditional CPGs. I mean, when marketing, the way I break up brand marketing is, you know, you can either be deep in consumer or you could be more of a business leader, kind of a, a general manager. And that's really what uh, SCJ was. And, you know, we had ABMs that were had science backgrounds, had philosophy backgrounds, all the, the different uh, the differences really kind of made the fabric of our team great. Um, and they, they appreciated my non-traditional, non, I didn't get an internship at a CBG company, and I was able to leverage that to get, a, you know, an associate brand manager job. Awesome. Were you working on SCJ at Nielsen? Uh, I was not Unilever. Unilever. So yeah, a little bit similar, but not really the exact. Pretty different in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like making the opportunities you do have into to what you want it to be, and just kind of building that future. And I mean, the experiences, and you know, both of you know firsthand is is amazing at SCJ, right? You're you're young. I was a twenty something, and the the amount of empowerment and leadership they gave you right out of the gate. I didn't know what I was doing. Full transparency. Never done brand marketing before million dollar shrubbing bubbles business and a lot of a lot of decision making power and that was both empowering and scary at the same time and so you know I worked my ass off kind of first in first out last out first out last out uh philosophy and uh you know just kind of try to kind of push through and then it was Campbell's after that yep so I mean I spent a huge amount of time at uh, at SCJ like 10 years and so you know I yeah. A lot of people, you know, say, find out what you're good at, just do that to its nth degree. I would say my approach to career is a little bit different where it's more about, especially when you're young in your career, do as many things as you can uh, to figure out what you're good at. Um, and I mean, we met when I was in sales. I like to tell people that was the worst and best time of my life because it, it's a tough bet. It's tough to hold a bag. And get, you know, yelled at and, you know, have those tough negotiations and not delivering the number. But I would say it's, it's probably the best experience of my life because it's, it was kind of most, I learned more about myself and my school and my tool set than any other role. Uh, you know, it's, and it's kind of true where it's like when you're faced with adversity and you're at your lowest point, you, you find out a lot about yourself. Um, and so with that, I went back into brand for a bit uh, and then went over to Campbell's. Um, and really it was just, to understand because Campbell's was uh, or is a, is very deeply rooted in consumer marketing, right? And the Canadian organization has a lot of Canadian specific creative opportunities and strategy. 
And so that, that's something I really wanted to do that I really didn't get at SCJ. So when you say you really liked being in, in sales, but it was hard, was your favorite thing about it being on a team with Justin and I? Absolutely Even- not. Absolutely yeah. not. Uh, you guys were terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoyed as we started, as you started that portion, you said, I met you guys when I joined sales. It was the worst time of my career. So that was awesome. But it turned into <laughs> the best time. So I appreciated the transition over to you realized that that was actually the most enriching piece of your career was being <laughs> surrounded by us and getting to spend time with us. That's a that's a very nice end of the story. Yeah, it was it was more the learnings that was the best part. <laughs> uh, the actual experience was very traumatizing. No, that, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I remember those years. They were there was a lot to fix on that business during that time, but you did do it. So yeah, I, I mean, know it wasn't, no, it wasn't fun, but when you look back worked out i mean getting getting a bit first sales role getting the position losing literally 30 percent of your distribution on on ziploc another 30 percent on on glade literally within the first month not my fault for the record at your biggest customer i mean it's it was it was a big hole to dig myself out of yeah yeah but hey when you lower the bar can step up pretty, pretty, pretty high over it. So you set the target, you set the targets low for future guys like us to just jump right over. It's great. Well, we appreciate it. And then, so talk Campbell's a little bit more there in terms of, you know, the difference that consumer focus, like what's that look like on the day to day? And what's that, what's that experience like in, in the work itself? I mean, it's, it's very much a, a depth versus breadth scenario, right? Where it, at, SCJ a day a day in the life would be you know you're working with forecasting you're um, doing supply problems you're working on labels you're working on marketing um, you're working on trade you're kind of doing all the things. Campbell's is very different where it was 100% consumer we are spending uh, a lot of time focusing on that consumer what they're looking for testing and going into the depths that to be honest we we at least in Canada at SCJ we didn't go into and so uh, there was all kind of new experiences for me. And uh, really learning, you know, that words matter, things matter, and the small things that we, we pay attention to to really build up to that brand um, is really what I learned there. Interesting. And I guess the work, the work stream is probably bigger team, more stakeholders to manage. Uh, absolutely. And, 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 you know, SCJ, because of the, uh, the, the model, very flat organization, right? We, we also always used to say the president's like two steps, two, two uh, levels away. Um, but it was a very different, um, d- very different model at Campbell's. Kind of different, different layers and different skills. You know, a little bit more. You need to manage upwards uh, as much as you need to manage downwards. And so that's something I that I also learned. You know, uh, I learned as well. And then from there, you went to Canopy. Before we get into that, I wanted to chat with you about. You know, you chat about the difference between SEJ and Campbell's, but. The, the sort of differences between going from traditional CPG into a, a role like Canopy, right? So I did something similar, right? Going from SEJ into the natural business, then sort of going progressively smaller. I think it's a career path that a lot of people are doing, starting in traditional CPG, best training, best experience, and they're going smaller, they're going into the natural segment. Um, but it is very different, or at least it has been from my experience. So I wanted to hear from you on some of those differences and challenges and, and what that looked like as you moved over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you 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 na- kind of nailed it on the, on the head. I mean, it, CPG is it was a great or is a great place to learn and and learn all the basics and the fundamentals. Um, and again, you have all the resources and all the knowledge. And I mean, 
the way I, I guess, talk about my transition from why CPG to, Can to Canopy and kind of more of a startup, to be honest, a, a large company, but, but very much a startup uh, category, it, it's like in CPG, what it, I don't know if you experienced this as well, but it turned out time over time, you know, they knew the plays that they wanted to run. We were just trying to run it more and more efficiently. When you go to, to Canopy in a new category, it's like, we're trying to figure out the plays, you know, and, and figure out what everyone's doing. Uh, as much as we are trying to do it as efficiently as we can. And so very different challenge. Um, and it almost felt like at CPG, it almost felt like Groundhog Day, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like every year, you know, be planning, okay, now we're going to do this and, this, and okay, what's the, what's the media plan going to look like? Okay, Facebook and Instagram. Canopy is not like that. I mean, the retail environment is changing daily. The media environment is changing. The regs are changing. The products are changing. Consumer needs are changing. The tuber consumer dynamics are changing all under you while you're trying to build these plays. And I mean, that is both exciting and scary at the same time. I mean, I have an open role now. And the way I try to, to explain to folks is like, you know, nurses and, and, and fire people are, are a different breed, right? They see a fire, they see an accident, they run to it. And really that's what we're looking for. And I'm looking for in my team is the people that are going to run to that fire versus run away from it. And so it's, it's, it's chaos. It's kind of enjoyable chaos to me. And it, it really teaches you how to focus on what one of the holes in the dike that you want to fix and you can fix because you can't fix it all or else you're going to get buried mm -hmm. by the flow. And so really that was kind of the huge both opportunity and kind of scary, scary bit of it as I managed through uh, the category. I love that. That's great. And you've had uh, three roles at Canopy in the last, over the last number of years? Yeah. So I, I moved over kind of a, a lateral move in a senior brand role. Um, to be honest, uh, I moved there, no direct reports. And that's scary for a lot of people. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to manage team, I'm going to manage team. And that was a little scary for me too. And what I realized is, honestly, it was the best time. Uh, time. It was very refreshing. Like managing a team is a lot of responsibility. And it helped me learn that I like being an individual contributor. I mean, in, in some of the CPG roles, like you're managing, you know, you're managing the top of the team, but you don't really do anything anymore, right? Everyone else does stuff. And so... What I loved about Canopy and then specifically the SBM role was like, I did stuff again. I like, it was my work that I, that I was you know, shining for. It's not my team's work, it was mine. And it was kind of that exciting, like, oh shit, I really like doing stuff. Like I like having those personal wins in addition to uh, my team. And so did that uh, move really quickly. I mean, you think you're moving quickly in CBG, you're moving at snail's pace. <clears throat> you know, we did at Campbell's, we, we spent, we, so we, re, we did the broth packaging. We spent, it had to be years in consumer research and deep and, you know, vetting it and different designs and all that kind of stuff and working with agencies. When I got to, to Canopy, we restaged, including research and everything, we restaged a whole launch in a month while we were already building the product uh, and we still launched on time. And I mean, it's that kind of flow of, of speed. It was just kind of, it was, it was crazy to me. And so uh, love, loved it, loved the experiences um, so far at Canopy. Awesome. I mean, I think we covered kind of day in the life through that. And it sounds like scrappy, I think is the word for it. You guys, uh, you guys were in the office before COVID or you guys? Yeah, we were, we were all, so I, I joined during, during, during COVID. So I'm like a COVID baby. So I didn't know kind of pre-COVID uh, um, kind of working, but we did have a couple of satellite offices in Toronto. We're yeah. uh, primarily uh, outside of the Smith Falls facility and some of our grow facilities were 100% remote. 
Um, and so that, that's been amazing for the team and, 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 and to be honest, it presented its own unique challenges. Um, and so we definitely try to get together more often than not having those maximize those, that team together. But, you know, we're all across the globe. Uh, we're all across different time zones. So it, it does pre- present its own challenges. That's cool. I think at this point, we were thinking maybe talk a little bit about kind of a, a look under the hood in terms of how you're thinking about some of the problems you're facing these days. Obviously, uh, don't want to show your cards to competitors per se, but just want to talk about some of the experiences, like what you're doing right now, super interesting. You're in a kind of, you're pioneering a new category, a new space. And yeah, I think ultimately we want to talk about what it's like to do that. I, I think first and foremost, talk us through the the challenge of creating a new category and creating a new behavior. Yeah, so I, could, I can set a little bit of context before I kind of get into it in terms of my roles at Canopy. So started at the, the senior brand level, specifically on beverages, uh, got promoted to head of beverages, um, and then transitioned over to head and head of mainstream and value brands. So, you know, I can talk a lot about canna- cannabis category in general, but I'll, I'll focus a little bit on beverages. You know, once legalization happened, there was this assumption that once legalization happened, all these new consumers are going to come in, right? Mm-hmm. So suddenly, someone who hasn't tried cannabis before is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go there. It's flood flood of uh, uh, volume. It's like well, grandmas and, and stuff grandmas like that. and everyone that's that's been afraid of cannabis their whole life you know, is now going to, going to try it. And that didn't happen. Right. And, and really it's the heavy consumer, the, the folks in the listed market, the current cannabis consumers, that's what's really driving the, the, the category volume. I mean, when you think about consumer behavior, think about you when you were 17, 18, when you started drinking for the first time, you have no idea how many drinks it takes before you get, uh, get drunk. You have no idea what to drink. You're drinking your fireballs and revs. You know, you're, you have no idea. You don't know how you're going to behave. You don't know how you're going to react. Uh, and that's, imagine doing that when you're 40, when you're 45. Uh, and that's really how it is uh, from a cannabis perspective. And so the barriers for a new consumers are so much greater than, than you think than just legalization. And so it's really having to handhold those consumers to what, you know, what you can expect uh, and all that within the regulation guidelines so that you can get those new consumers in. But I would say what we, we learned early on is really it's the current consumers. That's where the most of the volume is coming from. What's That's where the basket's going to grow. Um, and really it's through the top categories that consumers already use, flour, pre-rolls, uh, vaping. Those are the categories that are really driving volume and, and categories like um, beverages is really the basket trip. And so once we've unlocked that uh, understanding, we started to tailor our portfolio into, in terms of those maximum THC products and, and using it more of a, a basket builder than a trip driver. Um, and so really realigning our portfolio on that was, was a kind of a huge unlock. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I, I can say I've, I've tried the beverage uh, products. They're definitely different and like interesting. And um, I think the, uh, I think for me, there's almost like a, I see it like a health, like in relaxation, option cbd is supposed to be good for inflammation all that kind of stuff i've heard so yeah i i, I i'm i'm a fan uh and a and a buyer so far yeah and admittedly it's a tough one for beverages right so from a regulatory perspective you are uh, limited to 10 milligrams of thc um cbd is a little bit different but uh, interesting and so when you smoke a joint or a vape you you take in significantly more thc than a beverage and so Think about the consumer we're going after, current cannabis consumer, and then mm-hmm. the type of beverages we're legally allowed to do. 
it's a little bit of a tougher sell to grow that basket to understand, give them, you know, give them a reason to buy beverages. So, you know, what we learned over time is we just, at the end of the day, consumers just care about great tasting beverages. They don't need to taste like terpenes. They don't need to taste, you know, weedy and all that. It's just great tasting beverages. And you can apply that against any category, whether it be sparkling waters or beers or all that. It just needs to taste great. And so that's what we really focused on uh, in order to, to deliver uh, our, our beverage portfolio. I think because the, the cannabis space is still so new, there, there's a lot of consumer education that needs to happen right around like uses, what does what, what are the health benefits? And I'm sure there's also things that you can claim and can't claim, but maybe you could just touch on the differences between you know, CBD and THC and, and what each of those health benefits are and why someone would use those just for a for a new consumer, someone that hasn't tried products before? Yeah, and the simplest way uh, I can explain it is, you know, THC is what you feel. It's, you know, you get that psychedelic properties. CBD is what you don't feel. And, and by that, I mean, you know, it has more of a calming effect. And so, you know, I, I like to use the example of when I get in a meeting and my boss yells at me and I'm freaking out and get a little anxiety, I, I crack a CBD beverage uh, and then, you know, it helps calm me, it helps me relax a little bit. And I would say that's kind of one of the one of the huge opportunities for cannabis in general for all categories is right now cannabis is used primarily for the same um, the same uh, occasion um, and that's just to relax and unwind. And when you look at the U.S. market and and whatnot, you do they have beverages for social occasions? They use beverages for uh, you know for to unwind. It, it's it's more there's more of a breadth of usage, but right now Canada we just you know, primarily consumers just use it for unwaxing, unwaxing wine. And so until we can stretch those usage occasions and, you know, have a, um, a cannabis beverage while you're watching the, the Maple Leafs game, that that's really going to help unlock some of that growth, even within the current consumer. Yeah. And I guess like there's probably different mixes of THC and CBD and like maybe some probably skewed towards like I, I think I remember reading something about like sativa versus indica. I don't know if that's like that translates to beverages, but in terms of the, the experience being more like, you know, sit down and, and kind of, you know, relax into a couch versus like be more alert and lively, like social. So I guess, you know, you kind of cater your products and, and whatnot to some of those differences. Uh, does that translate to beverages at all? Or is that... It doesn't as much. I mean, from a beverage perspective, we use uh, it's both based on a, a distillate, and so all those terpenes, those uh, extra kind of factors, don't really play into as much as in beverages. I mean, we're seeing a lot of kind of growth in using some of the minor can cannabinoids to deliver the, a similar effect. But I mean, that is that's a, that's a gift and a curse, right? There's a lot of other kind of minors that uh, just add a lot of complexity to the category, and I mean, some work, some don't work. But it's kind of making a already tough decision, another already fragmented uh, category, even more fragmented, even harder to explain. Um, and so think about a new category consumer having like uh, THCV and like all these other C CBN and CBG and all these other things. And now we're like, oh, shit, you need a science degree to just understand what products to buy. Um, and so it's kind of a gift and a curse there. You guys are destined to be a CPG company because of the, the number of acronyms. Uh, you guys have, uh, you guys are well, you guys are well set up for success. Yeah, it's, uh, it is definitely a science. I mean, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't know all the complexities to, you know, flower until someone gave me a, one of those diamond loops. And now I look at all the flower using this diamond loop and I didn't know 
that that was you know an, a, a thing like like the same same type of jewelry juice yes that's correct mm-hmm. and that's we look fantastic. at all the trichomes and all the different coloring and it's it's you know once you get into it you get into a good rabbit hole i mean it's fun uh, but it's also very confusing at the same time yeah i mean did some refreshers in preparation for this talk uh but yeah it's one 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 of the questions that i was wondering and i mean i know what it's like in my world and i think justin has his experiences in naturals but um because there's so much new and like you just listed off you know molecules i didn't see in in preparation or, or you know i'm not familiar with like what's that relationship like between like canopy's a big a big uh licensed producer and um, that relationship between marketing and research and development is, is R and D kind of proliferating options and, and you guys are choosing, like, are you guys telling them this is what the consumer needs? Like, how's that, how's that, that relationship, uh, structured right now? Yeah, I would say, you know, our R and D and our new product development team is kind of the hu- a huge driver for our business. Um, and, you know, new products, consumers continue to search for, uh, new products every time. That's, what's really driving a lot of, a lot of growth, particularly things like beverages. So we are definitely hand in hand with them going back and forth in terms of, hey, this is what the category is thinking. This is what the consumers are thinking, but also they're working on, you know, next level uh, innovation that I, I can't even dream of. And so there's definitely a suite of options that we can uh, choose from. Um, and it's really what time, when should we do it? Uh, when is the category ready for it? Um, uh, and, and, it and, and that's kind of the process. I guess you probably have to field a fair amount of primary research, right? Like it's not in more traditional CPG, even in naturals, there's so much more you can probably draw from that exists. But for you guys, it's almost like you need to get into, into people's minds in a different way um, when nothing exists in terms of, you know, relevant data points. Yeah. I mean, there it's a, it's a balance, right? Think about trying to sell a consumer something they've never even heard of or a, you know, a, a, a different formulation or a flavor or something that, or applications they've never, it's like, think about selling like an iPod before iPods even existed. I was like, oh, iPods are stupid. Why would anyone want an iPod? Now look at it. Um, and so it, there is a love, uh, love hate relationship there in terms of what can consumers really tell us and uh, you know, what, what we just need to try. I mean, fast failing is definitely something that we need, uh, we continue to do um, and is experimenting, you know, to the nth degree. Um, and that's really how we are uh, testing is really uh, from a consumer perspective, um, but also doing a lot of, you know, consumer research as well. But it's, it's a balance. I mean, a bunch of great data points equals a, equals a fact to me. So um, really trying and testing and doing it multiple times at different times, because what a consumer might not be ready for now, in a year from now, they might be all into. Now, uh, another question I had centered on the the global Part of your title so tell us a little bit about you know what that's like i mean global canadian company moving into other markets is you know it, how, how has that been because i think most of your career so far has been canadian market and this is is a bit of a shift yeah it, it was a math i won't lie it was a massive learn, learning curve and i'm not sure uh apologies i'm not sure if you, you guys have uh, branched out in the us but it is a different beast down there um, and we uh, tested and learned, and it's a very expensive uh, you know, learning process, but the retail environment is different uh, dealing with um, the media environment. And I mean, million dollars down in the U.S. doesn't really go that far. And so your, your lessons are very expensive, uh, but very swift. 
It's exciting, I guess. But the 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 payoff when you hit is what it's all about, right? Yeah, and I and I mean the the beautiful thing about the U.S. environment is um, you, you can definitely say more. It's less regulated than the Canadian market, and so you can bring it to life in a more traditional way. And so uh, specifically, we brought our CBD brand Quattro um, to market in the U.S. and and launched with a huge campaign and to both out of store and in store. Partnered with a, a distributor down in the U.S. Um, because the regulatory from a distribution perspective is a little bit different, and really putting uh, boots on the street and trying to fill those uh, distributing gaps was is a huge challenge and it continues to be. I mean, there are over 650 CBD brands in the US uh, and the majority of them are not more than a million dollars. And so think about it, highly regional, um, highly fragmented. And so trying to break through and build a, a brand on scale uh, is a huge challenge. Interesting, super long tail. It's funny, it's almost like being an e-com brand, but in a brick and mortar context. That's highly regulated, challenging. I think at this point where we wanted to go was just give you a, you know, a little bit of a a moment to to kind of give for our listeners some insight. Objective of this podcast is to give you, our listeners, a a learning experience, you know, make you more informed and and help you maybe better navigate your career as well. So uh, Mark, want to give you kind of your soapbox on on any career advice or insight you'd want to share. Yeah, I mean, huge kind of career learnings over my time in mid, admittedly, you know, we talked a little bit about coming out of university with no experience and, you know, just a bit of hustle and to where I am now. I'm incredibly proud of, of what I've been able to build. And, and some of the things that have helped me get there is first is it's build, build your brand. You really, you know, we're all brand builders. We all aspire to be brand builders. Like what is your personal brand and what do you bring to the table more and better than anyone else? And so starting to narrow down on what that is and starting to refine who that is, is is kind of key. And so for me, it really started with hustle and analytics. I mean, I will out hustle anyone out there. I will work harder. I will dig in that data deeper than you'll ever want to know. And that was kind of my competitive advantage in the beginning. And so slowly building that into with my CPG experience in, in SCJ, it's like, okay, now I'm a, now I'm a little bit more of a general manager. That's what I, that's what, I, I set how I set myself apart. And that's really how I built my brand. It's I it like to make uh, more informed, wider decisions. I'm a highly collaborative team player and I consult and, and, and have different data points more than just consumer. I'm a brand builder, but I, I take into consideration different facets of the P&L more so than, than most. And so that's really how um, I like to build my brand and, and really trying to set uh, brands and companies up for sustainable success. So I would say that that's the first thing at, at its source. Build, just build your, start figuring out your, what your brand is and just build it. Um, I would say the second is around building genuine relationships. And I mean, you know, I had a, a mentor before, uh, George Fung, who used every Friday, he's like, Mark, you got to walk around, you got to talk to people. Because uh, I was an introvert, so he knew. And, and you know, we went to school together. I was like, you got to talk to people and, and get to know them. And I'm like, oh, that's so fake. I feel like that's, you know, so contrived. But it was more, less about FaceTime, more about just finding common ground with people. And I mean, I don't, I don't talk to you two guys because you guys are business contacts. I mean, I genuinely like you. And so it's, and, and I would say all the people that I, uh, I, you know, talk to and continue to talk to at work, I genuinely like them. And so it's, it's like, I'm not here to get something out of you. I just want to be your friend. And I mean, at the end of the day, I, for me, I love, I got to love the people that I work with. And if I don't, that's definitely a, 
disadvantage. I mean, I'm the type of guy that if I'm going out, you're coming out for my birthday. If everyone around me is not having a good time, I'm not having a good time. And so it's like, I need to love the people that I'm with and we all, all got to do it together. And you can, and uh, I would say it's all built on just genuine uh, friendships. So I think that's kind of huge for me. It's fair. Nothing gets done without relationships and collaboration. Like no one, one person can, can really run a, a business at, once you get to a certain size. Important follow-up question. Uh, I don't know if Justin was thinking it. I think he was, but like you said, you genuinely like us. Um, <laughs> and we were just wondering who you like more. Um, well, I mean, I have some bad uh, business experience with Justin uh, back in our Lava's days where he basically- We can, cut, just, we can stop the interview there. <laughs> he, he, he just stole all my trade funding, but that's fine. Uh, so generally the default would go to Alex uh, because you know, you're not a jerk like uh, Justin is. I, I assumed you'd say you like Alex because he's better looking. So I'll take that trade fund all day. That's, this, that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's as good as I think that answer could have gone for me. <laughs> the list was long on why Alex. So I assumed that something would come up, but uh, that's good. That's, that's the second time I think you've mentioned that you're an introvert, which I find so interesting because I, I didn't really realize that about you because I do see you as such an outgoing person. You talk to everyone at SCJ, you walked around the office, you knew everyone cross-functionally. So it shows that you put a, a major effort in there because I didn't get that experience with you at all. I mean, that is part of knowing, knowing who I am and how I need to diversify. I mean, I, you know, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the term bamboo ceiling, but, you know, it's, it's a concept, particularly with Asian culture, where it's predominant that we are very quiet and, you know, and this is just how we raise. I mean, you think about the uh, Western culture when, you know, squeaky, squeaky wheel gets the, the grease, you know, I think it's a Japanese saying, you know, the nail that sticks out gets hammered. And so it's a very different mm. philosophy. And so, you know, while the percentage of uh, Asian Americans in Ivy League schools are kind of off the charts, you translate that to upper management, it doesn't translate or it hasn't translated. And so, I mean, I learned early on that I need to push myself beyond who I naturally am. I mean, I, you know, we used to have those national sales meetings where there's like I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of people in the room. I forced myself to ask the question. I mean, you guys all chirped me about for asking a question, but I literally had to force myself to answer a question, it, ask a question. It was less important to me what the question was and more important to me that I actually did it. And I was like sweating, sweating like nobody's <laughs> business and it scared the shit out of me, but I had to do it. And so it's like pushing yourself. So I, I appreciate you saying that because I've basically spent my life trying to uh, compensate for the fact that I just like to sit in the corner and talk to, you know, one or two people. Oh, it's just, it's just interesting. It shows that, yeah, when, when you put like work into something, right, it really pays off because yeah, my perception was completely different of that. And the one thing that I, I will build on that is like early in my career, maybe this is a dated, cause I am kind of old, a, a dated view is, you know, when I looked, when I had a picture in my mind of what a business leader was, it was never me, right? It was outgoing, brash, opinionated, um, you know, just knock the, the doors down. And I mean, throughout my career, I would say once I started meeting leaders that were kind of like me, and I, I'll name like Beth Zimmermeyer, David Jacobs, uh, you know, Stephen Carter, those kinds of folks that reminded me of me, but they just own the room. And, and it made me realize that I can, I can be successful. Like someone like me with my skills and my background and my personality, I can still be successful. I can still be a leader. And I think that was kind of a, a, a little bit of a difference favor to me. It, it was more about 
less about I need to be like a type A personality and more about how do I hone the personality that I do have and really fine tune how I can be a leader. And I mean, it, it doesn't translate in all companies, but you got to find the right, right role. But um, that was definitely something I, I consciously, a change that constantly, it consciously happened to me once I really experienced those types of leaders. Um, so another question for you, you're a, you're a marketer at heart, right? You talked about that right off the top, um, love building brands. So I'm curious to hear from you what your, um, what Alex and I sort of call brand crushes. What is a brand outside of your category, let's say that you are really in love with that you think is, is amazing um, and we can kind of give them a bit of a shout out? Yeah, I mean, fresh off my vacation a couple of weeks ago, it's got, I got to say Disney, to be honest. And so Disney on, on a, a number of, of levels. I, I mean, when you think about the consistent brand presence they have on every touch point, it is consistent. And so we went to Disney World. When you go into the different world, you go on the Star Wars, Star Wars world, the garbage cans changes. The, the, the people live the brand all, all day. And it's, and it's like every inch of their being is on brand. So I love that. So from a branding example, that is, that is by far the best. And I would say their ability to translate what their, what their business model is or what they deliver for a consumer, you know, magic, translate from a movie to the parks so seamlessly right you are you are transported to you know that avatar world or you know star wars world like no other and so being able to deliver that magic under different mediums what is amazing and then at the end of the day it, it translates to the loyal consumers i mean you check my bank statement i got you know hosed by all the money i spent there and i did it with a smile on my face you know like oh yeah give me this swag give me this you know, dining experience. I, I paid through my teeth and I was perfectly happy because mm-hmm. I, I loved it. I mean, that is the perfect trifecta to me uh, from a brand that, that we can all aspire to be. Yeah, it is a pretty incredible brand. As a, as a son with a three-year-old, as we were talking about, that's obsessed with princesses, Disney Plus is my best friend. And I've spent, I've also been hosed on a lot of dolls and a lot of <laughs> toys and a lot of different um, memorabilia. So I, I feel that, but the, but he loves it, right? And he's obsessed with it. And one day when we take him to Disneyland, he'll lose his mind. And so they, they are an incredible, incredible powerhouse of a brand. And he will likely be a fan for the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, imagine, think about all the brands you had when you were a child, Tonka, you don't drive a Tonka car right now. Like there's, a, there's definitely <laughs> a, a gap there. And so yeah. uh, it's a, it's a, it's a huge, you know, brand crush for me. Yeah, feels like Tonka is an opportunity now that you mention it. <laughs> I mean, I'd buy a Tonka truck. Let me tell Tonka, you. <laughs> Tonka electric trucks coming up. Tonka Toyota collab. I mean, who wouldn't buy that? This might be a this might be a game changer. We might have to cancel the podcast. <laughs> it's a new venture. New venture started right here. Uh, but but seriously, Mark, this has been awesome. First of all, thank you for for making the time and, and taking time to share both your journey and, and some of your insights and, and your, your thoughts on, on the industry and, and what's going on. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I think this is going to be helpful to anyone who's trying to learn. So for us in our mission of, of, you know, giving value to our listeners, this has been awesome. So huge, huge thank you. I think we, you know, we don't have any sponsors, but if you want to send us products, uh, <laughs> we will accept it. Um, yeah. Other than that, I don't know, Justin, anything you want to add? No, just uh, echo what Alex is saying, right? Thank you so much for coming on. We we knew right away we wanted to have you on the show, be one of our first guests. We love you. We're 
Um, excited to see everything you're doing and and everything you shared there. I mean, I was taking notes, even though it's a recorded podcast, because you said so many incredible insights. So I'm I'm excited to post this one. Awesome. I cannot confirm or deny whether or not I can give you products, uh, but uh, we can definitely share. Uh, <laughs> a, a, yeah, a yeah, yes or yes. <laughs> <laughs> the second largest sampling program in Canadian history. <laughs> Lips to liquid, wasn't that the? <laughs> That was awesome. Honestly, didn't know what to expect on our first interview and really felt like Mark brought so much to the table. He was very genuine and authentic. And I feel like he he brought a ton of insight to the conversation. Yeah, I he's the best, right? I, lo- I love that guy. Great interview. He shared so many amazing insights. He's been a great friend of ours for a number of years. A great coworker, great mentor. So glad that we got the chance to interview him and, and share some of that with everyone listening. A ton of key takeaways in there. Alex, what, uh, what was your number one takeaway from the interview? Honestly... It's not like the nuts and bolts CPG how-to type of material that I'm going to focus on here. It's it's the more general leadership stuff that Mark touched on later in the interview around finding leaders for himself that he could see himself in. Yes, and yes. Yeah, just the way leaders come in all shapes and sizes. I think for us doing this cast, aimed at ultimately helping enable the rising next generation of professionals in this industry. I think it's a great reminder. I think it's a great message. And I mean, just look at look at Mark and, and what he's been able to accomplish despite those moments of, I guess, you know, you could call it imposter syndrome at times, you know? So yeah. I, I think for him to share that was powerful and really appreciated that. Yeah, it's. I agree. That was an amazing takeaway. I think it's a good reminder for us in work life, personal life, right? To we don't need to fit into a mold. You know, by being our true authentic self, that's where we're gonna be successful. And that that's great for Mark. Um it's gone really well for his whole career. And I mean for us, it, it's good to hear someone else has imposter syndrome as we're starting a podcast, right? This is all new for us. So it's good to have company. It's good, it's good to have company as we try and ramp this thing up. So you know if you're looking for Mark, easiest way to find him is on LinkedIn. Uh, He'll respond to you there. He'd be happy to help. He's a great resource for anyone that wants to get in touch with him. And we'll post that at the the bottom of the episode. And as this is a podcast about products, if you're looking for Mark's products, you'll find them anywhere cannabis products are sold. Some of the brands, I'm not going to drain the the well here because Mark has a lot of brands, uh, but some of the big ones include Tweed, Quattro, and Deep Space. Yeah, make sure you tune in next week. We got a, another amazing guest lined up. I can't say the person's name yet, but uh, another titan in this industry. Please like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.